time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. All right. Are there any revivalists in the house? Say, what, what? All right, good, good, good. Here's what, uh, here's what we mean by revival. All right, when we talk about revival, the idea, it comes, it's, it's this word revive. And if you're going to revive something, you're going to get it back to its original power. All right? You're going to fix it. You're going to get it back to what it's supposed to be. If you're going to revive your physique, then you're going to get in shape, right? You're going to do insanity and you're going to look better, right? If you're going to revive your broken iPod, you're going to get it back to working like it used to, right? If you're going to revive, what else would you revive? If you're going to revive your garden, you would get it to grow. If you're going to revive your car, you'd get your car working again like it used to. That's what revive means. You get it back to its original strength. Back to its original power. So when we say revival, it's just another word that says, all right, we want, we, we want the whole thing to be revived. And then when you say revivalists, the idea is, is that we want people that revive the thing to its original power. And in this case, we're talking about the church. Say church. So we're talking about the church. And so when we say revivalists, we're not necessarily saying, hey, we all want to go down in history and try to make it into church history books. That's not necessarily what we're saying. It's not necessarily saying that we all want to go start our own denominations or lead our own association of churches or that we're all called to go be pastors professionally. But the idea is, is that we want to function as a community of people that live with the power that Jesus called us to. We want to be revived. We want to go back to what does Jesus want us to live in? What did Jesus have a plan for? When Jesus said that we would go into the world and make disciples, when he told us that we would have power, the very power that he has, we want to have his power. We want to have his strength. We want to be in community. We want to pray like he called us to pray. We want to be the church in full power. And the nature of church, the way that it's worked throughout history, you can just read through it. Over and over and over again, the church will go through a time of awakening or of revival. And then it'll become more backslidden. And then revival. And by, by revival, it means people seeking God, the presence of God, hungry for God, doing the things that God has laid out in the scriptures to do. Waiting on God, fasting, praying. And then God says, yeah, and I want to touch my people. Revived backslidden, revived, backslidden, revived, backslidden. It's just the way, it's the way that it goes. In time, it's easy to become comfortable, lethargic, lazy, and not press in to encountering God. So that's not only, that only not, not only happens in church history, kind of when you look at a timeline, you can look at revival movements, but it also happens with individual local churches. And I would say that it happens within student ministries. And I think even within us, it's easy for us to have seasons where we press hard and we encounter God and we seek him and then it's easy to press cruise control. Because to accelerate and live in this pursuit of God, yay, desperate pursuit of God, requires sacrifice, surrender, being radical, going against the flow. So in this series, the whole idea is we, we just want to say we want to go back to the, uh, the power 
that God has for us. I think we're in a season right now where God is reviving us. I think we're in a season where God is calling us to go deep, to be even like what you saw of these revivalists, what you saw of these men who sacrificed their lives. And I'm not encouraging all of us to go. It's not like, hey, when we leave DSM tonight, everybody gets a horse and we're going to go be the circuit riders, you know. That's not it. The idea is for that age in that context, that was radical. That was, whoa, intense. But they got on horseback and spread the good news of Jesus all over America in the first and, and second great awakening. And when you look at what God's called us to do, it's a different context. We're not going to get on horses and go across the plains. You know, you take Kansas, sorry, I'll take Texas, close to hell, you know, and, and, and we'll all just spread out, right? <laughs> Stefan will go to heaven, he'll be on his way to paradise, head down to Oklahoma, right? All right, no. No, no, that's not it. What we're going to do is, if for our context, it means that we leave with that kind of tenacity, with that kind of excitement, with that kind of enthusiasm. And so, for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about being revivalists. And we're going to encourage each other to live like revivalists. It's not just a kind of a cute series. It's not just kind of an idea that we just want to, you know, paint some cute pictures. And this one's John Wesley. Where's John Wesley? John Wesley's the little one. All right, here we go. Yeah, that's John Wesley. See? Yeah. Oh, no. So... But it's more than that. What we, what we want to do is we want to go back to our schools and live with the kind of ferocious, intense pursuit of God like these men did. Like, like real revivalists that have impacted history. So stand your feet and raise your hands with me and let's pray together. Come on, stand your feet. Raise your hands with me. Let's pray as we dive into the word of God. Father, we do love you tonight. God, we want to be revived. God, it is so easy for us to live in a lethargic culture and become like them. It is so easy for us to love comfort, to love money, to love cars that are nice and houses that are nice, people liking us. It's so easy to sleep in. It's so easy to entertain ourselves to death at night. It's so easy to slander. It's so easy to love so many other things other than you. Tonight we just say, on behalf of DSM, be in first place. We want to be revived. Go back to first place, God, in our individual hearts. No matter where you are, in some people's lives you're first right now, in some you're second. In some you're third, in some you're 43rd. But wherever we're at, God, we pray that tonight you would go back to first place. Amen. Number one, the only thing that we're about. We love you, we honor you. And all of DSM shouted, Amen. Amen. Exodus chapter 20, if you have your Bibles, go there. We're going to start in the NIV. We're going to switch around in some different versions tonight. But Exodus chapter 20 says this, and God spoke all these words. So this is, contextually, let me give this to you. This is God speaking to Moses. All, Moses has just led the Israelites out, or his people, the Hebrew people, out of Egypt. Now they're in the desert. God calls Moses up to the mountain. He's going to speak to him. We know this mostly is when he gets the Ten Commandments. But he speaks to Moses, and here it is, God speaking to Moses. 
Moses being the representative of the people. God wants to talk to people. It's not that he just wants to talk to Moses. He wants to talk to his people, but he speaks to one. That one delivers the message to the people. He was called a prophet. Moses was the prophet. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God. So he's establishing it. It's me. Who brought you out of Egypt? Now, we, when we hear that, we just kind of, we're so used to hearing that because we've grown up in Sunday school. But what he's saying is he's saying, okay, remember the season where plagues hit Pharaoh, where frogs, locusts, blood, death, fear factor bugs. I mean, where those things hit Pharaoh and all of Egypt, and there was a sovereign supernatural power that delivered you. Do you remember that? Okay. I am the Lord your God. I'm the one that did that. He's reminding Moses, I'm the one that's been leading you. It's me. I'm the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Currently you're free. Formerly you were enslaved. And then he says it. This is number one. This is the first. There's 10 commandments. This is the first one. You shall have no other gods before me. Straight up. Number one. It sounds kind of like what Jesus talks about when Jesus comes and he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, for this is the first commandment. This is number one. I want to be first place. It's very easy to make me second place, but God's saying, I want to be first place in your heart. I want to be first place in your life. I want to be number one. Then he says, commandment number two, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or earth below. And so what he's saying here is he's saying, all right, in Egypt, back in Egypt, they would make idols. They would make out of gold or or out of precious metals, they would make an object and then people would worship that object. And that seems a little bit foreign to us because in our land, we have other idols. We don't necessarily bow down and worship flat screens. Like, you know, in terms of like bow down, like worship the flat screen. You know, we don't do that. We don't necessarily bow down and worship, you know, the car. We don't necessarily you know, hold out a $100 bill and bow down before it? Because culturally, we don't do that. But the idea of worship is not that you bow down. The idea of worship is what are you loyal to? What are you devoted to? What's first place? So he's saying in that culture, they would build, they would create, they would create an image and they would bow down to it or worship it. God was saying, listen, I want to be number one, first of all. And, and second of all, I don't want you to worship anything else. Number one, I want you to worship me. Number two, I don't want you to worship anything else. Number one, I want you to worship me. Number two, I don't want you to worship anything else. Number one, I want to be Lord. Number two, I don't want anything else to be Lord. Pretty simple. Can you get this? That's what, he's, that's what, that's what God is saying to the people. In fact, Martin Luther said, if you get the first and second commandment, you'll get the rest. If, you, if God's first and you're not worshiping anything else, you're not going to have an adultery problem. Because the adultery problem is the result of making something else, worshiping something other than God. You're not going to have a coveting problem if God is in first place and you're not worshiping anything, you're not worshiping anything else. Because you're not going to be needing what your neighbor has. You're not going to have a murder problem 
So you won't have an anger problem if God's in first place. All those other things, actually, are kind of solved if you get commandment one and two. If number one, God is in, the first, is in first place, and number two, you don't bow down to idols. So number one, I want to be God. I am God. I want you to recognize it. And number two, I don't want you to worship other idols. And so for us, the temptation is to, in a culture, much like where the Israelites were in Egypt. In Egypt, they have festivals. They bow down to other things. And God calls them out. He says, I want you to be a separate people. I want you to be my people. And if you'll choose to be my people, I'm going to, one, love you. Take care of you. I'm going to feed you manna from heaven, food from the sky, free food every day for my boy and my girls. I like them. You choose to be my people, I'll choose to be your God. I've chosen you. I'm going to love you like, a, like you're a little kid. I'm your father. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to heal you. I'm going to provide drink for you. You're going to drink from a rock. So you don't have to be enslaved in Egypt worshiping other gods. Dependent on others to provide for you something to enthrall your heart. No, I'm going to enthrall your heart. And I'm going to take care of you. You're going to come out and you're going to be separate and you're going to be my people. And because you're my people, number one, I'm going to be your God. And number two, you're not going to worship other things because I'm your God. Your loyalty, your devotion, your affection, your submission, your obedience is to me. So he calls them out. It's very easy for you and I, (sighs) over time, we live, if you will, in Egypt. We live in a culture that worships everything. We worship politicians. We worship fashion. We, meaning, when, when I say worship, I mean we give affection, we enthrall, just Watch a Michael Jackson video, and you see people just, ah! I mean, just, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's devotion. It's, we, worship, we worship money. We worship sports. We worship sports stars, athletes. Why? Inside of you, God said, I'm looking for a people, and I'm going to build them in my image where they long to worship, where they desire to praise, to go, woo, where there's something inside of them, where they want to be fascinated, they, they, want, they want to be moved. You can't divorce yourself from it. You can't say, that's not me. No, every single one of you. You just depend, you just might pursue it in different ways. But all of us have it within us. And... Most people pursue that fascination in the ways of our culture because you're in the culture. So when you're in the culture, you just do what the culture does. The culture, the culture freaks out about a famous singer. 
So you freak out about a famous singer. Oh, yeah. Let me listen to it. Oh, my. Wow. She's good. He's good. The culture says, go to the big temple where they throw a ball around and everybody applauds the whole time. And you go, let's go to the temple where they worship sports stars. Let's go to the temple where they worship musicians. After all, if we don't have enough fascination for Yahweh, we have within us a desire to worship something, so we'll find something to worship. It's, it does, I've, I've been to India, I've been to China, I've been all over the world. I've, I've been to Africa, I've been all over. You can go into almost any culture and worship exists. I took one team to Botswana and I felt, I mean, they were doing this dance around the fire and they were just, it was like fire. I mean, it's like they were worshiping the fire and we go, no, that's so weird. They would come to our culture, they would see us sitting in front of a flat screen, you know, watching the halftime show of the Super Bowl with everybody, the whole nation freaking out and they'd go like, that's their fire, that's what they worship. That's what they're excited about. One of these things, it's in every living room in America. The issue is not, do you worship? It's what do you worship? What do you worship? You're going to worship something. And our tendency is to allow these other things to get on the throne of our heart. And here's what I mean by on the throne of your heart. Throne is symbolic of what rules, the king, you know, throughout Throughout ancient times, whoever sat on the throne was the ruler. It was the most important, first place. So symbolically, you have a throne on your heart. And you will decide what's important to you. But something. I don't care if you're, if you're 13 years old and you go, the most important thing, what's on the throne of my heart? It's Facebook. I don't care if you go, I'm 16, I'm ripped. I'm going to, you know, I play varsity. It's football. I don't care if you say it's what other people think. I mean, it is something. You're going to give your worship, your affections to something. Something is going to sit on that throne. Tonight, I want to talk about, still in my introductions, this might be a long sermon tonight. I want to talk about historically in revival, one of the first characteristics or marks of a revival is that God goes back to first place. Is that there's repentance. It's that there's a crushing of idols. And so I just want to convince you tonight that number one, God really does exist and he really is on a throne and he wants to be on the throne of your heart. So I want to read out of Revelation 4. This is... This is a vision that John has. It's a vision of Jesus on a throne, and it's in the present tense. It's right now. It's after Jesus already came to earth, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven. After he ascended into heaven, John has this vision. He records in Revelation. I'm going to read out of the message. All right? Then I looked, and what's that word right there? Oh, then I looked. Oh, you can't see it. Then I looked, and is it up there? Then I looked, and what's that word? But that's not good enough. I want you to really... This is John. He sees God on a throne. And he's freaking out because he doesn't even have words what to say when he sees the God of the ages on a throne. So I want you to just kind of freak out with me the way that John did. Okay? Here we go. Then I looked and... Very good. Then I looked and... A door open into heaven. The trumpet voice. The first voice 
in my vision called out, ascend and enter. I'll show you what happens next. I was caught up at once in deep worship and, oh, that was so weak. And, no, 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 let me, let me this is, you're doing horrible. Here's what it is. It's not like that. It's, he beholds God as, oh, it's longer than your quick little, oh, that's, that's cute. That's nice. That's not what it is. It's, oh, does that make sense? It's, it's long and it's drawn out because it's holy cabooses. God is awesome. That's what's going on. He's beholding Jesus and he's going, oh, I mean, no, oh, I mean, it's, it's longer. So I want you to, I want you to, let's just, let's start it again. Okay. I just, I, I want you to get this. Okay. We'll start over right here. Okay. I was caught up at once in deep worship and much better. A throne set in heaven. With one seated on the throne, suffused in gem hues of amber and flame with a nimbus of emerald. 24, el- 24 thrones circled the throne. And 24 elders seated, white-robed, gold-crowned, lightning flash. Lightning flash and thunder crash. <laughs> Rhymes. What's up? My stash. All right. Uh, pulls from the throne. Seven, seven fire-blazing torches fronted the throne. These are the sevenfold spirit of God. Before the throne, it was like a crystal clear sea. Prowling around the throne were four animals with all eyes. Eyes to look ahead, eyes to look behind. The first animal like a lion, the second like an ox, the third was like a human face, the fourth like an eagle in flight. Oh, scary. The four animals were winged, each with six wings. They all had eyes seeing all around. And they, they chanted night and day, never taking a break. Holy, holy, holy is God. Our master, sovereign strong. Sovereign strong, meaning he, he is all-powerful. He's got strength that was, the was. Is that good English? The was, the is, the coming. Every time the animals gave glory and honor and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the age after age living one, the 24 elders would fall down prostrate before the one seated on the throne. They worshipped the age after age living one. They threw their crowns down at the foot of the throne, chanting, Worthy, O Master, yes, our God. Take the glory, the honor, the power. Why? Because you created it all. It was created because you wanted it. So John has this vision of God who sits on a throne. Here's why I say that. That kind of wow, that kind of God is awesome, that kind of majesty That God lives today and wants to live on the throne of your heart right now. Can you feel it? (laughs) The Holy Ghost power, don't stop, don't stop. I mean, God's God's thumbprint right now is like, there it is. All right. And you're going to decide, you're going to decide if you will possess worship in your heart to put the God who already is seated on the throne, he's already on the throne, is he going to be alive in your heart? Is he going to be first place in your heart? Is that an airplane? Huh? Revival, yeah. Ooh, all right, I don't be weird. Okay, 
I don't want to be weird, but that's weird. Okay. Okay. So number one, God's already on a throne. God's already on a throne, and you're going to decide if he's going to be on the throne of your heart or not. Okay? Number two, and I know this is simplistic, but I want you to get this. As plain as this might be to you, I want you to lock in with this. Because it's not if you, the question is not if you know what I'm about to say. The question is if you live what I'm about to say. God is better than idols. No, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want you to, I don't want you to agree with it. Like, I know that. The question is, do we live that? Listen, listen what happens. Listen what happens, Exodus 32. Listen to this, okay? Okay, so this is a story. Moses goes back up on the mountain. This is the story of the Israelites. While Moses is speaking with God, Israelites build an idol just like they had worshipped in Egypt. Just like what they used to know. Just like the old days. And it's interesting to me because these are the people that have already experienced God's deliverance from Egypt. These are the ones that eat bread from God day after day that falls from the sky. These are people that saw the Red Sea split. These are people that have already encountered God and yet... Just like you and I. It's so easy to go back to what they used to know. Back in Egypt, we worshipped idols. And I, we feel like things aren't going the way that we want. So let's question God's love. Question his existence. Question his commitment to us. And let's create something right here, tangible, that we can give our affection to which down throughout the centuries has continued to be the temptation of even the church. Let's create something that we can worship here and now. Let's worship something other than God. Look at this, Exodus 32. Verse 15, Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant, of the law, of the covenant law in his hands. So this is the Ten Commandments. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, this is the sound of war in the camp. Moses replied, it is not the sound of victory. It is not the sound of defeat. It is the sound of singing that I hear. And when Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned. And he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And get this. And he took the calf or the idol. He took the calf. He took the idol the people had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. This is, this is worse than the Israelite fear factor. Here's Moses, comes down the mountain, and I want you to sense the rage. Do you know why Moses wasn't partaking in building the idol and worshiping the idol? He was with God. When you're with God, 
You don't, you're, not, you're not looking for something else to worship. That's why the whole church for 2,000 years has gathered together. And when we gather, we're not coming together to sing songs and to see who's wrote, written the latest song and to try to get the new edgiest worship CD and kind of just... No, we are fixing our eyes back on Yahweh. We're going, we're so tempted to worship other things, but we refuse to worship anything else in the land because Yahweh is God, because God is God. And so we're going to declare with our mouths and with our lives that we love God. That we desire God, that God is worth it. The easiest way for you to get idols out of your life is for you to become a worshiper with God. If you will worship God, if you'll spend time with God. Listen, I've watched teenagers for years. Those that spend time alone with God, worshiping God, seeking God. Yes, it happens as far as coming to church. But even more than that, spending time with God over time. Your desire, your temptation, your, your appetites, your appetite for idols decreases. Because they don't move you the way that they move everybody else in your culture. Because something else moves you. You're going to be moved. We refuse to be bored. Humanity refuses to be bored. If you get stuck for three hours in an elevator, you will find something to do. You will create games, you'll sing songs, you'll jump up and down, you'll do push-ups, you'll find something to do. We don't function well as bored people. Why? Because we were made for exaltation, to worship, to declare who God is. We were created, you were created to live wholly fascinated with Yahweh. Just like these creatures that declare forever and ever and ever, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is, is, is to come. There's something inside of you. You were created to worship and to build, to establish his kingdom. It's inside of you. You're going to worship something. One of the easiest ways practically for you to start to get rid of the love of idols in your life is get alone with God the way that Yahweh, he's up on the mountain when everybody else is worshiping the idol and creating the idol because there's boredom in the camp. The man who's with God, he's not bored. Can you imagine? The finger of God writing on the tablets. And he's like, hey, Yahweh, peace. I'm going to go hang with the dudes down at the bottom of the mountain that are bored to death. No. No, when you're with God, your fascination for God increases. And therefore, your love for all the other things decreases. We give 10,000 testimonies. You know it. Talk to the person who's gotten saved. Talk to, talk to your friends. They come away spending time with God. And you're, you, sometimes you, if you're a lethargic, backslidden Christian, you're bugged when they're kind of excited about God because you want them to be excited about sports and music and getting together with the, with the friends again. Killing yet another night with chilies and, and video games and movies. And you're bugged because they so want to talk about God. And in your backslidden state, you're bugged by the fact you call them hyper-religious just like they didn't like Moses. But there's a righteousness that goes, I've just been with God. Moses' face is lit up and he's like, I don't want to worship idols. I don't want to bow down. The secret to having idols, getting rid of the grit that they have on your heart, be like Moses and get away with God. Spend time with him. And the other thing I love about this, Moses 
crushed the idols. Ground them to powder. See, what we do is we like to medicate our idols. I'm going to fast my idol for 21 days because I know it's an idol in my life. And then I'm going to go back to it after 21 days. I talked to one kid. David, I got rid of, I got rid of the idol of video games. Oh, sweet, man. Yeah, I used to play video games for hours. It's not, it's not, it's not you know, it's not, it doesn't have a stronghold on my life anymore. It's not, dude, but you got to meet my girlfriend, man. We, she's hot, man. We spend all kinds of time together. You go from one idol to the next. The issue is not switching idols. I'm done with Facebook and I'm on to Twitter. I'm done with, you know, this, with soccer being my idol and I'm moving on to, you know, to, it's, it's the fall. I'm moving on to football. No. Old men do it. They're fascinated with football when they got to play. 40 years later, they're lying about how good they were in high school and they're still watching on TV with the big beer belly going, go, you know, because it's still their idol. It's still what they live for. It's still in first place. Don't switch idols. Don't go from one to one. The issue is not moving around idols and just trying to get rid of one idol. No, 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 no. Forget that. Crush it. Don't just fast it. If it's an idol, kill it. Stick a gun to it. Get rid of it. Take that in context. (laughs) Crush it. If it's your girlfriend, you know what I'm saying, don't. No, I don't want you like shooting your parents' televisions and stuff like that. You understand what I mean? It's just metaphorically, crush it. Crush it out of your heart. Get rid of it. Don't medicate it. Don't, I'll just. (laughs) You got to crush it. You got to get rid of it. Hate it. Moses says, grind it to powder. Here, drink it. Punks, you guys don't know who God, that's what Moses is doing. He's going, ah! why would you want to go back to being enslaved to other gods like we were in Egypt? Don't you know, I just talked Yahweh out of not crushing you. <laughs> Do this for our lives, he's God. And we don't like that, you know, we don't like that. We don't like, well, I don't know if I like a powerful God. You know, I, 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 I'm kind of nervous about a God that's powerful and you know, might crush me. What? If he's God and you're not and you try to be, you're crazy. The lie of our generation is humanism. Worship me. I want to be worshipped and I want to accept a God that is all powerful. I want to be all powerful. And ultimately, I want a God that will serve me, not a God that says Serve me. Friends, Christianity is not a God that goes, well, it's all about you. It's a God who says, enter into understanding who I am. And as you do that, I'll take care of you. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. I'll be your God. I'll take care of you. You'll be my sons. You'll be my daughters. You'll be the people of God. You'll be my people. You're going to have something on the throne of your heart. And I know this sounds violent. This sounds strong tonight. But Jesus talked this way. 
Remember? If your eye causes you to sin, what does it say? Oh! Well, that... I don't know. I mean, there's kind of like a, a mean God in the Old Testament and kind of a nice God in the New Testament. Uh, read that again. Hello? Gouge out your eye? No. You read through Exodus... And what they point to, he's a God of love and God who delights in us and delights in his people. He's all the way consistent all the way through. Yet he's very fierce on this. You shall have no other gods before me. Do not allow anything that would keep you from entering into heaven. Do not allow it to be first place. In your, get rid of it. Crush it. But we don't want to crush it. We're Americans. We get everything. We get the good life and Jesus to boot. No. No. In some ways, we have a harder challenge. I've watched the church in China where I've sat there with Renata in the persecuted church in China with, with other people around years and years ago. Not like 100 years ago. 11 years ago. And I sat there and they had nothing. We didn't even sing out loud. They... they they, we, we sang songs just quietly, like not even saying words so that no one would know they wouldn't be found out, so that no one would find the church. These people were poor, they had nothing, and yet they had everything. It's our possessions, it's our idols that crush us. The only way to keep your idols from crushing you is to crush them first. You've got to crush your idols. Don't sit around and say, well, I'm going to wait for my parents to crush my idols. I'm going to wait for David and John Mack to come crush my idols. I'm going to wait for... No, no, no. You crush them. Get rid of them. Crush them. Last thing I want to just say that I love about this text. Yahweh was better than a golden calf. The golden calf couldn't do anything for them. Yahweh took care of them. Yahweh rescued them. Yahweh loved them. Today, Jesus is better than any pleasure or idol you have in front of you. He's better than success. He's better than money, better than wealth. And I know I'm saying these things and inside of you, this thing rises up and you say, why are you saying things that I have? Why are you saying things that I like? Not all things are idols. I know. It's all based upon where it ranks in your heart. But I'm telling you, if you're internally mad right now and you're like, how dare you mention Nintendo Wii? How dare you mention football? It's probably an idol. Because we always protect our idols. How dare you? How, how, yeah, 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 yeah. That's exactly what, that's what we do. We got to protect our idols. Why? Because we love them. It's like the ring, my precious, you know. Don't mess with it. It's mine. And I like it. I love my comfort or I love my sports or I love my entertainment. I love my movies. I love my restaurants. I love, I love my friend. I love all these. They're mine. Don't you dare touch it. It's mine. It's my precious. It's mine. It's what we do. We protect it and we, we want to fight anybody. Something rises up inside of us. Why? Because we love our idols. 
But if you don't crush those idols, those idols will crush you. Because ultimately, Jesus has said, he's made it very clear. I want to be first place. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. You shall have no other gods before me. I am the Lord, the God who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Worship the one true God. And either he's God or he's not. And you decide if you're going to trust and believe and worship him like he's God or not. Ultimately, there's only two possible, po- possible answers. Either you'll worship God or you'll worship yourself. Because in worshiping all these other idols, you're basically saying, I want them. I want all these other things. So I choose me. But God is better. You know what, you know what else? You know what else is cool about this? And this is why we're calling this revivalist. Because tonight, this tonight is for me is so much more than just let's get rid of the idols out of our own lives. I'm for that. But I'm for more than that tonight. When you look at these guys, these revivalists throughout history, they didn't just want to crush the idols in their own lives. They wanted to crush the idols that lived in the land. Moses crushed their idols. It wasn't his. He was up on the mountainside. It wasn't his calf that he was like, God, I repent. I crush my idol. I grind it to powder. I drink it. Ah, that's not it. He goes into their camp and he crushes their idol like a mad wild man. Why? How dare you defy the God of the ages who has taken care of us, who has loved us, who has brought us up out of the land of Egypt, who is taking care of us like a child, who gives to us every day, who leads us with fire by night, pillar of cloud by day. How dare you worship any other God? No, not on my watch. And he crushes their idol. It's what David does. All the people, all, all of the Israelites living in fear because of the Philistines and Goliath. David just, David's not even in the battle. David's over on the sidelines. He comes over, bread and cheese. What's up, Eliab? Older brother, I brought your fish. Or not your fish. You brought your cheese and your bread. What's up? Oh, Goliath. Well, why don't one of y'all go fight him? We're all scared to death. I'll go pick a fight. How dare you defy the armies of the living God? <laughs> Listen. What happens if not just tonight do we go and we're going to crush our idols in our lifetime? And it's a lifetime process. We have to constantly, constantly come back to it. But what happens if, it's, if, if the fear of God is so alive in you? You've been like Moses on the mountainside. That when you come back to your people, when you get around your friends, when you get around the culture, it's not just, it, what's acceptable in our culture is just to be introverted and sweet and quiet. As for me, I'm going to do this. But you do whatever you want. That's not the biblical example. That's not what Jesus did. That's not what Moses did. What happens if within DSM we have people that go, I'm going to crush the idols in my generation. I was talking on the phone this week to a guy. He's starting a uh, television company. Uh, like, you know, uh, cable TV. It's, uh, its own station. Starting a cable TV station. 
network thing. So I'm talking to him. It's Christian programming. And I said, why are you doing this? There's already lots of these. I mean, isn't there lots of them? And he goes, yeah, they're mostly lame. I go, well, I know that. I mean, and then it's inside I'm thinking, what's going to make yours not lame? You know, I mean, what? I mean, what? what? And he, he says this. I go, why are you doing this? And he, I just love his answer. He goes, I got one vision. I want to crush MTV. I said, what? Your whole vision is wrapped around being better than MTV? He said, MTV is ripping off my generation, young guy, you know, and I'm going to crush it. He's like, I, 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 I don't know that, I'll, I'll, you know, in my lifetime, I'll, I'm not saying that I'll defeat it, but I certainly want as many people as possible to say yes to God instead of being destroyed by the idols in our land. And they, they put in the front of, in the front of millions of people's eyes idols. I want to crush it. I hate it. I want to destroy it. <sighs> Listen, inside of Moses, it wasn't his idol. It was the people's idol. I believe that there are some revivalists in the room tonight. And you might just be the revivalists that crush the idols in America. You might just say, I'm going to crush. I'm going to come up with creative ideas on how we're going to destroy immorality. How we're going to come against, name the idolatry. It's all through, it's, it's, it, there's so many, it's hard to start listing them. But you go, I want to crush, crush idols. I'm going to crush it. Let's all stand. I want to invite Frontline DLA. If you'd come forward, turn and face DSM, that'd be great. Here's what I'd like to do tonight. I think all of us could say that there's, it's easy to have an idol in our lives. Or you have an idol in your life. But tonight, I want to encourage you to come and get right before God. And I just want you to come and just say, I want to confess this, this, and be specific. Don't just say, don't just say, I have an idol, you know. Uh, it's and just to say something generic. Be specific. Pray with me. I want to repent before God. Marks of revival always start with repentance. They're always great awakening, second great awakening, all throughout history. When the people come together, second, second Chronicles 7:14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. Turn from the ways of lifting up idols. Tonight, if you say, that's me, I want to turn. I, I, I've got an idol in my life. And I want, it, I want to crush it. I want to repent of it. But I want to crush it. I, just, I don't want to just kind of go without it for a while or go from that idol to another. I want to destroy it. I believe there's some of you tonight, might be ninth graders, might be tenth graders, but even as I've talked tonight, this idea of crushing idols in our generation, that God's stirring an idea in your mind. I love the young girl who was, you know, in her late teens and early 20s when she started the personhood amendment. She started going after, trying to establish that every single, every single, every baby, every pregnancy is a life. And she was going after legislation in her late tw- in her early 20s. She got a vision as a teenager. I want to crush abortion. She goes, every, every life matters. 
And it's, it's, an, it's the idol of comfort in our land that tries to kill babies. And she's going after it. I love the young man I talked to this week. He said, I want to destroy MTV. I don't know how to destroy it other than to start something filled with the life of God that young people in 20-somethings will watch. I don't know. But we've got enough idols in the land that we can all go attack them. We can all go, we can all pick one and go attack them. And we can make a measurable impact in our generation. Why not? We got 50 years to live. What else are you going to do? Live for yourself? Forget that. No, let's go after reaching a generation. Let's crush it. Crush it. So, come quickly. I'm not going to make it real emotional. If you want prayer for one of those two things, you want to crush an idol in your own life, or you're going to go after crushing something in your generation, come quickly. Guys with guys, girls with girls, we want to pray together. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life.